Look to the sky. Stop staring at your shoes because the sky is ready to captivate us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vel News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, here with my traveling buddy, Betsy Welch. How are you, Betsy? I'm great, Ben. It's uh, good to be home, but it's also, you know, it's kind of a little sad to leave Stillwater, Oklahoma after Mid-South weekend. The Mid-South is the season opener of the gravel season, one of the most important gravel races on the calendar. Two years ago, uh, it was voted one of our five monuments of gravel by both uh, elite-level gravel racers and other race promoters. Uh, so on this show, we're just digging into why why that is so. What's what's the secret sauce or the the ingredients in the secret sauce of race promoter Bobby Wintle and making the Mid South what it is today? This year, some twenty five hundred people signed up for events over the two day weekend. There's a fifty k run, the main gravel race, the hundred mile race, more like one hundred three miles. There's the fifty mile race. And then a 12-mile gravel fun ride. So across those, oh, no, I forgot. There's the uh, the double. You do the 50K run Friday, followed up by the 100-miler. That's the, that's the double. So lots of different events. And then on top of that, you did a whole menu of things uh, off menu, such as the there's a chamois butter ride. There was a BIPOC ride. There was, I can't even keep track of all the other rides going on. And you know, that's a big part of what makes Mid-South what it is. But yeah, we've got five things here. Let's start with the first of why Mid-South matters. It's the season opener. What there's been other races. Why is it why is it this one? Why is this the the marquee? Well, I think like you said, you know, in the this was the 10th year, right? So in the 10 years that the race has been around, the hype has just it's it's really built um incrementally. Actually, I would say it's even sort of like skyrocketed of late. We need a precise measurement. Like, what is it? <laughs> 72.2% bigger than before. I don't know. I would say the hype was off the chart this year, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, anyway, I mean, this race is early in the season. Like, it's technically still winter. Um, you know, the time just changed. The weather is unpredictable. Um, but because it's so sort of like, Hyped race, singular date on the calendar that doesn't conflict with other stuff. And it's kind of become like a a race you cannot miss. So I think a lot of people put it put registration day on their calendar and sit there at the computer and and try and get in. Um and it and it's also too, sorry to interrupt, it's also like a, you know, it's a sort of a reunion of sorts and it's the first one of the year and it's not conflicting with other stuff and people had a long winter and this year even more so it you know there was no mid-south last year because of the pandemic so um people were even more eager to get out here get out there (laughs) we've had other races of course prior to mid-south you know you went to miami gravel uh where it was not winter there's been a couple grasshoppers out in northern california yep yeah. Shasta Gravel Hugger. So we've seen yep. some of the stars put on star performances in smaller fields, but this was this was the one where most everyone in the gravel scene was there. Yeah. So they get a chance to sort of like suss out the competition, see who's been doing what over the winter. Yeah, I think that adds to the allure. Yeah. 
yeah, and we saw some some great racing. Go read our reports, people. Of course, <laughs> if you haven't already, read them again. Um, number two reason why Mid South matters: the weather game. You know, one thing that is captivating about gravel racing as a participant, and I hope also for uh, you know fans who are reading about it, watching, following, is is the dynamic gambling nature of the event. Uh, what's the surface going to be like at any given race on any given day in any given section? Do I have the right tires for it? Like, what's, should I bring a hydration pack or that be too much weight? Like there's all these little, little variables that you get to tinker with. Um, and that's, that's part of the attraction, I think. Um, and with the mid South, AKA the mud South, the, the main question is, will it be a dry year or not? So the area around Stillwater has a, it's gorgeous, uh, dirt roads that have a high clay content. So a lot of like burnt orangey red color to the clay when it's dry. It's almost like a track, you know, it's kind of spongy and soft and makes for beautiful photos. When it's wet, it, it becomes a consistency of quick Crete with peanut butter mixed in and that it will just cling to bikes and bodies. Like it was its job and that can, uh, dramatically change the race. So that's always a, a factor leading it that, that makes it, uh, you know, adds, as our friend and colleague Leonard Zinn would say about cyclocross, it adds the right amount of anxiety. You know, you're kind of worried about <laughs> it, you know, obsess about it a little bit, but not unhealthily so. And I mean, this year, in addition to the the normal worry of is it going to be wet or not, um, it, we were faced with some really, really cold temperatures um, and snow. It actually snowed, I don't know, would you say like three, two to three inches? Yeah. Um, on Thursday night, so Friday dawned snowy and frigid. I mean, we're, we're Ben and I are Colorado kids. Like it was really cold. <laughs> um, so that was an additional factor this year. Um, I think I read somewhere, Bobby keeps track of like the attrition rate yeah. <laughs> every year of these races. And I, I want to say that eight out of 10 runnings, have had like inclement conditions. Yes. I could be wrong. But. Yeah. Yeah. On the, the mid South results page, there's a chart of, you know, three color bars for each year. How many people registered, which is a big line. How many people started a smaller line still, because sometimes people look at the weather, especially those who've done it in the past, be like, yeah, no, I don't want to come and destroy my entire drivetrain and uh, have to throw out my clothes after that. And it won't even take the start. And then the finisher rate for the wet years is a pretty steep drop off. I mean, we had a much better year than 2020. Um, it was a true mud south that year. Um, I apologize still to this day to Y Cycles for just <laughs> destroying the bottom bracket of the bike you loaned me. Um, but this year, I, I mean, I think overall people were really psyched on the day because there was a lot of, oh my God, it's going to be a mud year and it's going to be, well, it's going to be a snow year, but, um, race day dawned clear and very chilly, but the roads were, I mean, as good as they get, would you say? Just about. Yeah. There was on the long course, there was one section I was calling the cyclocross section. It was muddy and there was basically one, sometimes two lines through it. So there was some running there and that was the early race definer as far as going from a group of like 60 or so to 
yeah, that blew it apart. Um, and then there was like a singular puddle, but they, yeah, otherwise it was dry and fast. Much perhaps to the uh, disappointment <laughs> of the local Jeep club, the uh, they may have a name for the club. If they do, I apologize. But there's a bunch of good old boys who drive some sweet four by fours, and that they serve as the support crew for stranded racers mechanicals or otherwise because if it is muddy normal vehicles get stuck in the mud as well as as racers do so the enter the the saviors in the jeeps to come pluck racers out of the mud so they may be a little bit bummed that it was not such a monkey year but as you said the people were planning for the planning for the worst and and since it was only 20 degrees but dry at the start it ended up being a lovely day that's the red dirt jeep club by the way. Thank you. Yeah, so the first time I did that race, I arrived with the strangest collection of items I've ever packed for a bike race, which is a Surly Singulator and tool. Like basically I showed up anticipating my bike failing and falling apart and having to turn it into a single speed. Right. Dare. And I, what, that, what kind of, comp- thankfully didn't need it that year, but that's, yeah, that's the type of thing it is. And certainly keeps the, the mind engaged in the weeks and months leading into the event. I, I will just note that, Ben, I can't, well, I think you rode Pathfinder tires. Yeah. So pretty, pretty slick. And I do know that Lauren DiCrescenzo, who won the women's race, was on, she was on full on slicks. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that, that kind of tells you what kind of uh, conditions were out there. It was a fast race. Um, it was a new course. So in terms of like setting records, I guess we can't really say that because it was a new course this year. But um, shoot, the men's winner was sub five hours, right? Just under five hours, I believe. We'll we'll get back to you on the uh, the times. Yeah, <laughs> the, the tire section is an interesting choice. So some racers have run slicks even when it is muddy, just because the the tires become slicks anyhow. And having knobbies just it gives more places for the mud to hang on to. Uh, as you say, Lauren was running the Renee Hurst. 44 mil slicks, that she, same ones that she used at uh, to win Steamboat. And she, her, speaking of Lauren, she's seemingly unstoppable. <laughs> um, she got hung up a bit in that cyclocross section early on, mile 25 or so, so was a bit behind the front group or groups and the eight ball there. And she just put it in her turbo diesel the way she does and just – I was going to say slowly and steadily. That's not true. She very quickly and steadily just picked off group after group after group um, and finished 12 minutes up on her nearest female competitor. She came by the group I was in where there was like six of us riding in echelon. It was super windy for the back half of the course. And we were all happy to have a group to ride in and we're desperately tucked, you know, cheek to cheek there. She rides up on the... Windy side. Hey, how you guys doing? You're doing great. Blah, blah, blah. She's got her one arrow bar is kinked up towards her stomach because it had gone loose and it was falling down towards a wheel and she was worried that was going to cause a crash. So she just flipped it up towards her and was just riding it that way. Chatted with us for a while and then just motored on into the wind, you know, like one person riding away from six people. And she did that with most groups she came across. So, And she's just, what, coming back from breaking her collarbone there at the end of Big Sugar? No, the rad. The rad. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So Lauren finished um, 14th overall. 
And she was just about 15 minutes um, behind Cole Patton, who won the whole race yeah. in 4.52.26. So watch out, world. Yeah. LDC is back. The vengeance. <laughs> it's kind of funny that we're we're talking about the pointy end of the race because, you know, before we started recording, we said we'd mention it, but that also sort of that's another reason why the Mid-South matters is because there is this pointy end and it's uber competitive and the top racers show up, but it it sort of isn't the focus, right? It's it's happening and it's going on and it's very exciting, but um it isn't it isn't it isn't really the reason for the event and it isn't the reason that most people are there. Um, I'm trying to segue into our reason number three that the Mid-South matters. Um, and it's just a one word. Um, Bobby <laughs> Winchell. Yeah. I mean, you know, gravel, gravel races, the promoters are really important and sort of singular people. Um, but I think even other promoters would agree that Bobby stands out in a way that's pretty unique. Yeah. Like the races take on, are formed by and kind of imbibe the, the spirit of the promoter. And it's, uh, it's difficult to encapsulate Bobby <laughs> in words on a podcast. He's, he's best uh, experienced live <laughs> and in the flesh when he is, Probably yelling, hugging, jumping, dancing all at the same yeah. time and has been doing so since five in the morning and will continue to do so until well after midnight in the street. You know, one 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 Mid-South signature is the Bobby Wintle hug where he's, you know, he still start the start the weekend on Thursday with a with pre parties where he'll be. Uh, not only welcoming everyone in, but he's often up on stage playing guitar and singing. Then during the event, he's on the mic at the start, and then he positions himself in the finishing shoot where he will hug each and every person he can get his hands on as they come across the line. And again, this year there was, what, 2,500 people who signed up for different events. So it's lots of hugs. And uh, that spirit is what uh, created the event. And that's just sort of like the lifeblood of the of the whole thing. And that is why the Mid-South was nominated by other race directors and racers as a monument of gravel. And that's why there is a point into the race because it became such a huge thing mm-hmm. as just a groundswell of, you know, grassroots gravel cycling that so many of these top racers had been told by friends and others like, hey, man, this thing is awesome. You got to go. Um, that it's become... Or, uh, I don't want to say it's become a, uh, an elite race, but there is, you know, the elite racing is part of it because of the huge foundation that he's built. And it is notable that even though there is a pointy end, he makes a point of kind of like not snubbing that, but there are just no call ups. You know, this year he's made a point of saying, hey, look, you guys can sort yourself out however you like at the front. We're never going to do cops. No one individual is more important than the other. So, you know, if you could line up as early as you wanted, whether you were going to finish in 12 hours or you thought you were going to finish in five hours, you know, a few racers did come up at the, at the very end and kind of back their way up to the front. But, and that was a, a fine thing. And it was, uh, 
the kind of typical of good gravel of everybody can get in where they fit in. And uh, it's, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think that's all, all, all credit due to Bobby and his wife, Krista Wintel, who is certainly hard at work uh, as well on the event. But Bobby is absolutely the, the energizer bunny face and voice of, of the Mid-South. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that strikes me too is like, he's, I mean, he's, he's super stoked to see the winners come across. He's really even more stoked, probably like in a hallucinatory part of way to see the (laughs) the DFL, the dead um, effing last finisher, but everyone in between, which is everyone, like he gives everyone the same amount of love. I mean, he makes you feel so damn important. And that is um, really special. Um, that's that's hard to do. And he does it year after year. Oh, what you were saying sort of about like Bobby's, um, I don't know, his his sort of rhetoric about the pointy end. And, and it's not that he's snubbing it. He's definitely stoked for it. But he he and I chatted before the race and he he, he gave me a really great quote. You know, he said something like, you can have like a beautiful flower um, and you know, but, but if it doesn't have any roots, it will fall over, you know, the flower being the pointy end, the the bright, shiny thing, the pretty thing, but if there's nothing holding it up, it will fall over. And, and that's his whole deal in creating the Mid-South is like, he wants this whole festival, um, inclusive place for everyone, whether or not they've registered for the race at all, whether they're there as family support volunteers, um, because he feels like without that, like what, what even is it? And so that was, you know, one thing I really picked up on this year is his efforts to make it that um, are very evident, you know, like from the music festival going on all weekend to the plethora of group rides. There were f- there were six originally um, scheduled, like shakeout rides, hangover rides, you know, what else? It's just it's it's sort of like come be yourself, find where you fit in and it, and and it all matters. Mm -hmm. Like inclusivity is a word that gets tossed around a lot and rightly, rightfully so. And I think Bobby and crew do a great job of, of exactly that in a genuine way. One of my favorite things about the event is just the broad diversity of people and bikes and motivations and strategies and just outlooks uh, on cycling that, that all come together and coexist in a fun way there in, in Stillwater. I think another thing Bobby does well as a human is admits when he's wrong and makes steps instead of getting defensive about it, uh, tries to do better going forward. Um, like the, the name change, is one prime example of that. You know, it was called the Land Run for years, um, and then he made the switch to the Mid South, and that name change, I think, in some ways, was as you were saying, was overshadowed by COVID, the tidal wave of COVID that hit the 2020 event that you and I were at. So, you know, I remember we were there, and the rain there was like a lightning delay. It was pouring rain at the start, and Bobby's trying to give a speech, uh, and People are just trying to get going because they're freezing and also wondering, like, should we even be here at all? We should be, be, you know, isolating. I don't think it was even a term at the time, but should we not be so close to each other? So I feel like his message maybe wasn't uh, 
as received there as it could have been, but you certainly wrote about that after many conversations with him and yeah, and you know he 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 said that changing the name was sort of just the first step in what he envisioned to be many um you know changes he wanted to see over time with the event or evolution. It took him a long time to change the name because he really didn't see anything wrong with it. And that's, you know, what you were saying about him, you know, admitting that he was wrong. And so once he did change the name and sort of begin to think more about the place, um, it, it sort of set him on this journey that he's still on. Um, Oklahoma's really a complicated state in terms of indigenous people. Um, and, you know, has been for a century and continues to be today. And one of the things that the, the, the Mid-South staff did this year that was really cool, if you were there, you got this, was they put this little book in everyone's, um, registration bag called the Course Atlas. And it's a 64 page five by seven book that you can hold in your hand. And it's got some information about the the race itself, but really what they wanted to do was give more context to the place, um, both the natural environment, um, the cultural environment. So there's some really interesting perspectives in there. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's sort of part of this ongoing evolution of making this event more than just a bike race, more than just a running race, but looking at it with, with a much broader, um, view of, of what it means to recreate, um, on land that, you know, has an incredibly sort of checkered past. And the connection with the land is such a cool part of gravel, right? Like we were talking about earlier, whether it's like the, the strategic, Strategy thinking about you know tires and gear or just the experience of going to different places and experiencing them on a bike like that's what we love to do right is is be be in in places that are new to us and uh, and learn about them smell them experience them in a number of different ways enjoy the food and you know for for Bobby the land run title he's a Kansas boy moved to Oklahoma you know he. Uh, pick that up because that's the term land run is used everywhere. Like land run car wash, land run bubble gum, whatever. It, you know, didn't see that as, as necessarily an offensive thing. And, you know, had a, had a native friend point out to him like, Hey man, as long as your race is called this, I'm not coming <laughs> because, you know, the land run of course, being a time when the U S government had cleared out the area of natives who were living in, in the area and said, okay, we're going to have a, a foot race. Basically you take off, you new white settlers take off from the starting line and go homestead. And that became a, a part of how the, the area was established for, um, at the time, American citizens. So Bobby just, uh, it, yeah, it took a while to come around to the idea that maybe we should start our inclusivity with the name itself um, and like I said, gave a speech to that effect in the pouring rain, but that was a bit overshadowed. So yeah, having, having a booklet that people can take, take home, uh, is probably a better way to get that across. But then, uh, just in a more modern day approach, I think as we've been talking about, just seeing a lot of different folks there in the start and interacting with a lot of different folks. Uh, that's a big part of why gravel is such a, a positive 
trend in American cycling right now is when we come together on the bike, good things, good things happen. Sometimes we'll tangle handlebars and you go down and bad things happen. But on the whole, it's a, it's a positive experience when we come together on bicycles and enjoy the beautiful landscape. Yeah. And it's, it's cool too. Like, you know, it, it sort of sets a precedent, like all, you know, gravel is still young enough that, and I think collaborative enough that organizers are watching what organizers are doing, you know, um, new organizers are cropping up. And so it just, it seems like there's, there's more collaboration than sort of competition and the good things that happen will be built upon, mm-hmm. um, by Mm -hmm. other organizers and as races develop and age over time. And I just, I I feel like it's just becoming sort of status quo, some of this stuff. And I think that's really good. Um, It's becoming expected that, yeah, there's a pointy end, but the 90% of the people that aren't in it are really the ones that matter. And let's see what else, that there are multiple no drop shakeout rides and that you will see people who don't meet the stereotypical definition of cyclist. You know, all this stuff is, I think is really to be expected in gravel. And I think that's a good thing and that we should continue to expect it. And, um, organizers play a big part in, in setting that up. Yeah. I think as you mentioned, the organizers like go into other racers parties, Mm um, one thing that struck me doing one of the previews was how many, on the how many women on the you know past podiums mm-hmm. yeah now or at the time put on their own events so for instance Amy Charity Steamboat Gravel uh Christy Moan Unbound Gravel uh Amanda Nowen um oh Amanda I'm sorry I'm forgetting the name of your race and Mammoth Tough Mammoth Tough Bah <laughs> Sorry, man, I've hit my head many a time. Um, so like, yeah, on and on. So it's not, as you, to your point of it, not being a competitive thing. Yeah, sure, at a race, racers want to win. Yeah. Each organizer wants their own events to do well. Um, but, you know, there's just something that USCF, USA Cycling had once upon a time as a rule. You know, I call it like the, the, the chicken little rule. Or the red the red hen? What's the what's the the storybook where the 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 red hen wants you're giving me a funny look? What are you ben, talking you're about? You're so much older than me. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> In order to bake the bread, everybody needs to help. Whether that's you know planting the seeds, growing the grain, harvesting, milling, baking the bread, the the little red hen keeps asking for helps, and the other farm animals are not wanting to help at all. To to avoid that, USCF for the longest time. You had to be on a club, and if you weren't, you had you, you would pay a surcharge every time you signed up for a race, because every club had to put on a race as well. Mm. And that we all want to go out and do these events, but somebody's got to put them on, right? And so, if we each take turns, we each take a pull, putting on events, then there will be plenty of there will be enough events for all of us. So, I think we're we're seeing that very much in the the gravel space that that these people who put on events love to do the things themselves. It's not. Um, yeah, if they make money, obviously that's their in as a business. Um, but for so many of them, it starts and continues with with the the passion. How great it. was it to see gravel worlds like in full effect at the Mid South? So, gravel worlds, which is a, a legendary gravel race in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, they had a aid station on the hundred mile course. Yeah. 
And just like the stoke level was off the charts. Um, Jason from their organization team was at the finish, spraying champagne on everyone, um, dancing with Bobby. Um, And then in August at Gravel Worlds, Mid-South will bring the hype to Gravel Worlds. Did I say all that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> With an aid station and similar support. Um, and those those two races have actually paired up to, to, to they uh, issued this crazy challenge called the Double Double. So do the double at Mid-South, the 50K run and the 100-mile bike race, and then do the double at Gravel Worlds, similarly an ultra run and the 150-mile bike ride. So super cool collaboration and stoke. And yeah, this is, I think, why Ben and I really like our jobs, because we get to go there and ride our bikes and be a part of it and see that, you know, um, this unique way of combining sort of a participatory sport and a competitive sport is, is, is just sort of like evolving in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jason and Sophia from... Gravel worlds. Yeah. Jason, the underside of his ball caps, big block letters, gravel family, you know, and he's, he's dispensing hugs, maybe not quite at the rate of Bobby Winslow, <laughs> but no one, I mean, let's be honest, who can keep up with the Bobby's hug RPMs, but that's one of the many reasons that we look forward to these events is, is seeing the folks. So what's, what's up next on our gravel calendar, Betsy, where are we going now? Well, again, along the lines of like the sort of mishmash thing that's happening in the U.S. with competitive bike racing, our next quote gravel event isn't a gravel is event. Not actually <laughs> a gravel event, um, but it's adjacent. Actually, I shouldn't rewind. Mountain biking is not adjacent to gravel. <laughs> mountain biking is mountain biking, but it's adjacent in the way that um, we'll be headed to Sea Otter to cover the cross-country mountain bike race. In Fuego. In Fuego. It's an 80K, I believe. And it is the first race in the Lifetime Grand Prix series, which is a new race series that includes three mountain bike races and three gravel races and has a large prize purse and 60 men and women gunning for it. So we'll be out in Cali in, oh my God, (laughs) less than a month to watch some mountain bike racing. That'll be good times. It'll yeah. be good to see, you know, with some gravel courses, when it's a little techie, that might catch out some of the more road-centric mm-hmm. competitors. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how the how Sea Otter and other mountain bike events uh, play into that. And then speaking of gravel events that aren't really gravel events, <laughs> Belgian Waffle Ride San Diego, the promoter Michael Marks for the longest time and says that this is not a gravel event. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's put out a, a nice film called This Is Not a Gravel Race, which we are one of the many things we love about gravel. It's like, what the heck is gravel? It's like, well, whatever it is, whatever the, the organizer decides it is or is not. So we'll also we'll be out there in uh, end of April, early May. So come on out. Pin on a number or don't, but uh, <laughs> come say hi to Betsy and I. It's uh, Sea Otter or Belgian Waffle Ride or whatever gravel race we find ourselves at next. But in the meantime, thanks for listening to the Velo News Podcast. Bye. Bye.